Hey, good morning, Northeast. It is so good to see you guys this weekend. If you're just seeing my face for the very first time because you've maybe started attending this summer uh, or online even, um, my name is Drew. I'm the lead pastor at Northeast, and I've checked out for several weeks because y'all gave me vacation. And, uh, and on the front side of this message, I just want to say thank you. Um, last year during the pandemic, Tough year for anyone who's, who's a leader, um, but in the midst of that, I also crossed a, a milestone here, 10 years at Northeast, and you, along with the elders, banded together and gifted us with an extra week away and even an opportunity to, to get away really nice, and we did that. We ditched the kids, and we got away, just the two of us, to a beach, and I don't know if, if I was supposed to be that excited about not being around my children, but I was. And, uh, and it felt really, really good. And we just want to say all the more thank you because it felt really so good to be loved on by such tremendous people. We love this church and we're so deeply appreciative of you and your investment in my family as my family is pursuing Jesus and you point them to Jesus. So thank you, thank you so much for that gift to us. It was also a huge gift to be able to pray for you. As I do every summer, I take a week off-site alone with the Lord, and I pray. And you guys loaded me up with prayer requests. And I just want you to know I labored with you in prayer. And many of the things that I heard on those cards and submitted just remain with me. And I continue to pray with you. And I'd love nothing more than just to thank God for you now in prayer and, and pray over you one more time before we dive into his word. So would you join me in prayer? Father, how humbled I am and how humbled we are, God, to be given this gift of the body, the church. God, that we don't have to do life alone, we don't have to do faith alone, but you've surrounded us with people to encourage us and spur us on to love and good deeds, and I thank you for this church. But Lord, there are burdens in this room, there are burdens watching online, and Father, for that, I, I lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray that now in these few moments, God, would you allow your voice to break through. Lord, would you speak into the heartache, would you speak into the pain, would you speak into the fear and the anxiety God, those things that are weighing us down. And Father, may we find direction and life from you through your word and through your voice. And so we ask it in Jesus' name today. Amen. It's the role of a father to show his kids a better way. When your kids do their hair on their own for the very first time, and they come out, and you're like, oh, great. It's our job, our privilege as parents. My job as a father to lean in and be like, let me show you a better way. Let me show you how to hold the hairbrush. Let me show you how to, how to part your hair or put it in a, in a ponytail. When they're trying to tie their shoes for the very first time, and it's this jumbled mess of spaghetti, we, we come alongside of them. It's our privilege, our role to say, let, let me show you a better way. The first time they kick a ball, the first time they try to help you in the kitchen, and stuff is going everywhere, and it's not that helpful, but you pause and you say, let me show you how to do it. Let me show you a better way. This is what good earthly parents do, right? We come alongside our children in these moments, and we show them a better way. And so how much more, then, is this the heart of a good and perfect heavenly father, that he comes alongside of his children in the midst of their struggling, in the midst of their searching, and he says, hey, let me show you a better way. 
See, the reality is we're all searching. The reality is we're all hungry. We're hungry for happiness. We want to know, hey, what does it take to be happy? What's the key to a blessed life? What's going to get me there? And in the midst of this, the world offers us all kinds of solutions, all kinds of options, and offers us all kinds of direction. And yet our loving Heavenly Father comes alongside of his children. He says, my child, let me show you a better way. I I know the way. I know what will satisfy your soul. Let me show you the better way. And he shows us the better way in Psalm chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn there with me. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible, so aim halfway. You'll likely hit the book of Psalms. It's the largest book in the Bible. And in Psalm chapter 1, the first chapter of this huge book, this conversation with God, the first chapter, the first verse, the very first word, God is going to define for us the better way, how to get there. What is the key to the blessed life? Read along with me. Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God doesn't hide from the fact of what he's trying to tell us. Hey, here's the key. I want to help you find blessing. I want you to understand where it comes from, the source of it, right out of the gates. Blessed is. That word blessed in the Hebrew literally means happy. You could transpose this psalm then. Happy is the man or woman. It's, it's universal here in nature. Happy is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. God wants us to know, hey, where, where do I find that filling? That thing that I need, that I've been searching for and hungering for, where does it come from? And God's eager to let us know. In this book, one of the longest conversations with God over and over, all these prayers, all these songs, right out of the gates, first word. I want you to know where it comes from. And what we're going to see is that God's going to say, hey, hey, it's not out there, it's here, it's here. This entire psalm is a contrast between the the blessed life or the struggling soul. A contrast between the the righteous life or the unrighteous one. It's going to paint a picture for us. And at the end of seeing this picture, we're going to be forced to ask a question about our own lives and our own hearts. Where do we stand in this? Which life are we? And what have we been seeking in order to get this kind of life that we've been searching for? So look at what God says. First, he's going to define where it's not found because it's almost as though God knows we're going to go seeking for it in all the wrong places. So he says, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. 
who walks not. You're not going to find it walking in the counsel of the wicked, meaning the wisdom of the world. We're going to talk more about that word wicked in a moment. But he said, hey, it's not out there with those who don't know me, with those who don't understand my wisdom and, and have my voice. They're not tuned to this channel. You're not going to found, find that, that blessing there. So don't walk in that council. This picture of walking is this picture of taking in the advice, going along with it. See, the world has all kinds of advice for you on how to be happy. All kinds. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Facebook is full of it. People pinning little expressions to their Facebook page to help you pursue happiness. The world will tell you, follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. Whatever love looks like for you, embrace it. Whatever happiness means to you, do it. Whatever success looks like, pursue it at all costs. Be your own person, be your own boss, do your own thing. Live for the moment, love yourself. You do you. The world will give us all kinds of counsel, but God's saying, hey, don't walk in that counsel. Because here's the thing. If the world really had the secret to happiness, why isn't anyone happy? All of these pithy little expressions, we turn into little images and we post on our Facebook page as though we found the meaning of life. And if we've really found it, then why are we still searching? Moving from one relationship to the next, one job to the next, one place to the next, trying to find that thing that will finally make us feel whole. God says, don't walk in that counsel because if they had it, you'd know, but they don't. So don't walk in that counsel, nor, secondly, stand in the way of sinners. You're going to see a progression here through the verses. The progression from walking to standing. Standing meaning camping out. You're not just going along with it now, but you're camping on it. You're, you're, you're building on it a little bit more. Like this, you're putting roots into this. It's a sense of, hey, the, the advice maybe hasn't worked for some, but you're going to double down on it. Well, if it didn't work the first time, doubling down on it is going to get you where? That age-old adage, right? Like you just keep doing the same thing, hoping for different results. I'm going to keep doing me, hoping that one day I'm going to wake up and be happy. God says, don't walk in that. Don't stand in that. Don't put roots in that. And thirdly, from walking to standing, now he says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers either. It's an ancient image. <clears throat> you would sit at the city gates, and the elders would congregate there, the wise sages of the city, the wise sages of the, the, the tribe of Israel in whichever city in that day, they would, they would sit at the city gates, and there they would conduct business. They would also conduct legal matters, and they would make rulings on legal matters as people would come and, and petition before them. And, and it was this wisdom here collectively at the gates that's in, in view. And sitting among these men, to be invited to sit among them, is like a big deal. But this is also, of course, the city gates, also the, the place of town gossip, right? As people are coming and going in the city, and you're talking, and the, did you see the sandals that they're wearing? Those are so last season, right? And, and it's this sense that you've not just, thank you for laughing so hard at that joke. It, it's this sense that you've moved from just hearing the counsel 
to now putting roots in it, and now, now you're, you're making it the place in which you dwell. And, and you're dwelling among those who are just sitting there watching the world and, and scoffing at all the other things and picking it apart and armchair quarterbacking life and saying, we know the better way, and look at those people pursuing that way. And God's saying, no, 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 no don't sit there. That's not going to lead to the place of blessing. It's not going to fill what is empty inside of you. This world is not going to get you where you want to go. This world is not going to satisfy what is unsatisfied in you. It cannot because it was never created to satisfy the deepest part of you. It was created as an accessory for your life, not to be your life. God's saying, hey, I, I want so much more for you. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in that, and heed to that, camp out in that, and double down on that. Now understanding this, that the text is, is warning us against taking counsel from the world, but it's not at all talking about avoiding contact with the world. So many times, especially in Christian communities, right, we can, we can go a little too far with this passage and be like, see, the world doesn't have the wisdom, and, and we're to stay away from the wicked counsel, and so let's just buy a big plot of land, and we'll put up fencing, and we'll all live together and drink the same Kool-Aid. And especially, we'll keep our kids away from them. And understand, the scriptures are not saying to avoid contact. In fact, Jesus called us to have contact. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt requires what? Contact. It doesn't help your food sitting on the table. Jesus, in his closing message to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go into the world. And understand, at this point when he says it, they're standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. They're standing at a high point. Every direction that the disciples would have gone after this point would have sent them down into the world towards those who had rejected Jesus. There was no single place that they could turn off of that hill that would not lead them into the mission of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go to, to the people who just crucified me and tell them about me again. Jesus is not saying, and the scriptures are not saying, avoid contact. You will have contact. Avoid the counsel. Go in with my counsel. Go in with my wisdom. Don't live by theirs. Jesus is saying, hey, God is saying, hey, let me show you a better way. And what is the better way? What's the better way? It says, verse 2, his delight. Delight. Delight here is not an expression of emotion. Rather, it's an expression of focus. It means to revel in, to sit in, to soak in, to seek focus, not emotion. We think delight, and I'm like, oh, I'm reading the word, I'm not delighting, and it doesn't tickle me inside. And sometimes God calls me to things that don't feel good and are harder and it'd be easier to go this way and do that thing. I'm not delighting in this. But we think of it from a, from a perspective of emotion. God's calling us from a perspective of attention and focus. I want you to delight in my word. 
Think of it like when you were first getting to know someone and you became enthralled with them, and I realize there's emotional delight in that, but in that moment, you were so fixated on them, there was so much attention given them that you forgot about every other man on the planet or every other woman on the planet. It's like they didn't exist anymore because this one person was like the miracle. And you're like, oh, everything that they say is just amazing. And their eyes are amazing. And I just want to spend all my time and I want to have all my conversations with them. And you sit and you have this long dinner, this date, and they tell you these stories. And you're like, wow, what an amazing amount of detail. I want more. 20 years later, you're like, too much detail. Like, just get to the point. (laughs) But when we first meet them, we are so attentive to them. We are so fixated on them that nothing else matters. God's saying, that's your heart. That's what I want. Be so attentive to my voice. Be so fixated by what I'm calling you to. that The rest of it fades away. Here's what God is saying in this. Blessing is found when we make his voice our greatest focus. When we make his voice our greatest focus. When we put him at the center, his kingdom come, his will be done. When his voice takes precedent, he says that, that is the beginning of blessing. But the thing of it is, like a kid trying to tie their shoes and a father coming in saying, hey, let me show you a better way. We have to be willing to heed the voice. We have to be willing to listen to the wisdom. God's saying, hey, blessing, blessings found when we make his voice our greatest focus. What does it mean to make his voice our greatest focus? What does that look like? It's not just reading or or worship. It's not just delight. He goes on, he defines it for us. He says, on his law, he meditates day and night. You delight in the law, you make it your focus, and then you meditate on it day and night. We get a weird view of meditation from kind of an Eastern influence. We think meditate means that we need to like assume some weird posture and maybe hum, and meditating is emptying yourself of all of life's troubles. That is not the Hebrew understanding of it. To meditate means to speak over, to utter over oneself saying, you delight in my voice, here's what that looks like. You speak it over yourself over and over. You utter it to yourself over and over until you believe it, until it's such a part of you. Here's what it looks like for me. I have to remind myself of these truths because I'm, I'm by nature very inquisitive and curious. I have a mind that constantly is going and wants to be learning things and stimulated by things. And that's really great for, for this part of my life, my job when I have to study and then present. I feed off of that. But after this moment, when I go home this afternoon, my brain is going to be like more, 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 more. And I'll sit online and I'll look at all the things that I think could be awesome to have. I'll look at all these things. I'm endlessly pursuing new hobbies, which my, my wife totally loves. Endlessly pursuing new interests. And wouldn't it be great if we did this? Wouldn't it be great if I had that? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? And I could learn this and I'll research it to death and I'll buy it off Amazon because I know that is the best product on the face of the whole planet. And if we have it, it'll be great. And it gets me into these seasons and when my soul is restless that I think that, that investing in something or having this thing or learning this thing will, will make it better. 
So for a season, I pursued a classic car because, man, I love cars. I grew up around cars. I want to give that to my son, except I realized I don't have garage space for a classic car or time or money for that. But maybe a classic motorcycle because it's smaller, it's cheaper, it's easier to work on, it would fit in the garage, and my son needs to learn to change plugs. It's like, you have to know that. Except at some point in this journey, I realized that I'm a middle-aged man and no one wants to see me on a motorcycle. I think someone just said thank you up here. I'm going to go back on vacation with that kind of attitude. I mean, the reality is it will only satisfy for a moment. I'll fix it up, and then because it is a classic, a week later, something else will go out. It'll constantly be this thing that is never quite there, will never scratch the itch. And this is true of us, of the things that we buy, of the people that we date, the shows that we watch, the food that we eat, all of the things that we think will be so good. They leave us filled for a moment. And then we find ourselves looking for what's next. God says, blessed is the man who delights in something more stable and meditates on this and gives himself to this. And he gives us then a picture of this, a picture of why it's better. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. He moves from the language of poetry to the language of promise, planted the blessed life that is rooted in God's voice, And God's voice becomes the greatest focus. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Planted implies that God is doing something in your life. Because guess what? A tree doesn't plant itself. God will root you in something, plant you in something that is greater if you trust him, if you seek him, if you seek his voice. And look at how the image plays out. Planted by streams of water, this source of life, this source that will feed it and nourish it and make it strong and its roots deep. If you question whether streams are good for trees, just go down to the river walk in San Antonio and look at the trees. We dress them up at Christmas. We bring family from out of town to see it because they're gorgeous. They are fed trees. God says, this is your life when you're rooted in me. And it will bear fruit. It will yield its fruit in season, he says. Yield its fruit in season and its leaf will not wither. God promises fruit. He's promising that if you plant your roots deeply in him and in his voice, it will bear fruit in your life in season. Maybe not your season, but in season. It will bear that fruit. Understand fruit here according to the scriptures. Galatians 5 defines what this fruit is. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit. These are the things that God will do. Fruit here is not the car. Fruit here is not the career. Car is great until you crash it or you sell it. Career is great until retirement, either willingly or forcefully. At some point, you will be required to give up everything. And God says, at that point, there's still blessing if you look to me, if you've anchored yourself in me. 
There's a life and a more that I've made you for. Not of this world. Not something that will fade or rust or be traded at half its value. Something lasting. God's calling us to it. And not only will it bear fruit, it'll lead us, he says, it'll prosper. All these things, notice all of this ties back to where we choose to delight. Ties back to delighting in God's word. God's giving us a picture of of a blessed life and how to get it, and it ties back to his word. And And it forces us to ask this question, do we delight in things or in him? Do we delight in imperfect people? And if I just find a, 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 a more, better, imperfect person, I, I realize my English is terrible in that. I'm not trying to make it good. But, but we pursue just a better version of an imperfect person and, and expect blessing and happiness. And God's saying, no, a holy and righteous, perfect God is what will produce that for you. Where do we seek our delight Here's the lesson of this image in verse 3. The lesson of the image is quite simple. Fruit is tied to root. Fruit in your life is based on what you've planted your life in. The wisdom that you're pursuing, the things that you're looking to, the fruit in your life comes out of where your roots are, what they're planted in. And God's saying, when you plant yourself in my voice, my wisdom, my counsel, it will bear fruit. It means we don't just spend two minutes with God in the morning, but two hours the rest of the day on social media and expect fruit. Two minutes with God, but two hours in social media will bear fruit, but it won't be the blessed life that God is promising. Studies have shown, and nine out of ten doctors agree, that part's a joke, but studies have shown that any increase in social media use correlates exactly with an increase in anxiety in your life. God's saying, I have more for you than that. Joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, those fruit that he wants to do in you, he says, they're found in me when you pursue me. Fruit is tied to root. Psalm 1 is saying, if your root is God's voice, you won't be shaken, you will bear fruit and you'll prosper. But just as there's a picture of the righteous, there's also a picture of the unrighteous. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time unpacking it because it's really simple. The way that God describes it is simple. It's laid out and it's obvious. Verse 4 through 6, the wicked are not so. So anything that the righteous are, the wicked aren't. And all the blessings that we've just heard of, they're not going to have it. That's God's explanation. The wicked are not so but are instead like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are not so. All the blessings, all the favor, all that God has, and he's just described with deep roots and fruit and prospering, he said, not the wicked. Now, at this point, the wicked, it just sounds so harsh, right? He's been saying it from the beginning in Psalm 1, but understand, it's an Old Testament understanding. It simply defines those who are not walking with God and not listening to God's voice. There's only two categories of people when it comes to the scriptures, the righteous and the unrighteous, those listening to God and following him, trusting him, and those who aren't. No other category of people. You either fall in one camp or the other. 
There's no middle ground. There's no holding point where you can just kind of check and see how things work out for a few years and then make your decision. You either trust God or you don't. So there's either blessing or there's not. It says the wicked, those who don't hear me and won't turn to me, they're not going to have this fruit. It sounds harsh, but God is saying here, they won't prosper. So don't listen. Don't stand in, in, with them. Don't sit among them. Don't walk in their counsel. They're like chaff, he says. Chaff, another ancient image. We don't normally think of how grain is harvested, but in the, in the ancient world, they would harvest this grain, they would dry it out, and then the heads of grain were protected by this little sheaf, this, this shell it was necessary for while it was maturing, but once it had matured, then it would dry out, and they would take this, the, the heads of the grain of wheat, and they would put it in this cloth or this, this uh, bin, and they would throw it up in the air and allow the breeze to pull out the chaff. It was so light that it would be carried away instantly by, by the breeze. And, and it's here that the, the scripture is saying they're like chaff that are blown away. They're thrown up in the wind, and they're so easily carried off. And here's the thing about chaff. No one uses the chaff. There's no mother in the ancient world that's making baked chaff. And the kids are like, oh, it's my favorite. Monday night, chaff. <laughs> it's, it's not used for anything. It's blown out across the field, and it returns to dust. God's saying, so is the life that's not rooted in me and hasn't heeded my voice. That's why it says they won't be in eternity. They will not stand. They will not stand in the judgment. Because they've not listened to what God has been offering them on earth. And because they have rejected what he's offered on earth, they will not be with him in eternity. And what is God offering? He's saying, the way that is life is through my son, Jesus. What God has offered to us is the life that is truly life, the life that is found in Jesus. And the wicked won't have it. They've rejected it. Don't walk in that way. And Psalm 6 closes telling us that God knows. God knows then who chooses him and who's following him and who, who hasn't and who won't. God knows. If you find yourself anxious over this world and anxious over how people are acting and anxious over government, it's okay. God knows. God knows. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway in this from Psalm 1? It forces us to do a bit of soul searching. In fact, as homework, as an exercise, and yes, I'm giving you homework my first week back, you're welcome. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do an audit of the soul. An audit of the soul. Here's the question I want you to ask. Am I delighting? What am I delighting in most right now? What am I delighting in most right now? Another way to ask it, where am I seeking delight? Am I seeking it from God and his voice? Am I eager for his direction? Or am I delighting most in my career, in this relationship? Have I put all my chips in that? Holding out hope that that will fulfill me, that this next season will be better than the last season. Now that the kids are gone, everything will be great. Let me know how that works out for you. 
What am I delighting in most? Where am I seeking my soul's satisfaction? And if the answer to that question is anything other than Jesus, then hear your heavenly Father who loves you as his child. Hear him say this. Hey, 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 let me show you a better way. I have so much more for you. I intended more for you. Let me show you a better way. This summer, I undertook as a father the job of teaching my kids how to make their own ramen. Not because ramen is the healthiest choice for children, but because it is the food of college students, and I want them out. And so I'm just preparing them. I'm preparing them for life ahead. And, and ramen, right, this staple, this like, I don't know what it is now, 22 cent a pack staple. And we taught them to do ramen. So we taught them to, you know, fill the pot with water and to bring it to a boil and put in the noodles and then the, the seasoning pack in. I taught my son, you know, to spice it and kick it up a notch beyond that. And the whole while that we're teaching this, right, there'd be things that would happen along the way. And I'd come alongside and be like, hey, 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 let me show you a better way. Let me show you a better way. At one point in our travels, then, we're walking downtown through, through a city that we were in, and, uh, and we're there as a family. We're looking for a place to eat, and what do we stumble upon? We stumble upon a Japanese noodle house. Now, I just taught my kids to make ramen, right? And here we're stumbling on a Japanese noodle house. This is clearly a sign from God. Jesus wants us to eat ramen, right? And so we stop in. We do lunch there. And the very first thing that they offer you when you sit down at a noodle house is chopsticks. So we all sit at the table. My wife and I dive into the menu and we start looking at all the options. You know, they've got udon and they got ramen and they got pho and all these incredible options and we're salivating at it. But my kids, of course, they sit down and they dive into what? The chopsticks. Yeah, I mean, they rip the paper off and they pull them out and they break them apart and consternation ensues, right? Frustration ensues. They're trying to figure this out. And my daughter, especially my 10-year-old, is terrified because this is the only utensil they've given her. And if she doesn't figure this out, she's not eating. And after a few minutes of frustration, all of a sudden I hear this chirpy little voice. I got it. And I look over and she's got the worst technique going, like this bear claw technique with, with her fingers all jammed up in between the sticks. And yes, she's, she's getting a little bit of movement, but those sticks aren't even getting close to touching at the end. There is no way that she is going to pick food up and get it into her mouth with that technique. It just is not the right technique. And yes, there was movement and it looked like something was happening, but it was never going to amount to a meal. It's in that moment that I turn to her and I say, baby girl, let me show you a better way. Some of you, you're seeking the blessing of God, eager for it in your relationship, eager for it in your marriage, eager for it in your career, but you've got your fingers all up in those chopsticks of your life. You're doing it your way, but you're asking God to bless the socks off it. And he's saying to you, hey, my child, I have so much more for you. I'm a good father who gives good gifts to his children. Would you heed my voice and would you let me show you a better way? And here, here is the better way. Do you know that about your God? 
you know what he wants for you? Do you know that Jesus alone has the life that is truly life? And a life that he says is abundant life. And when you heed his voice and when you walk in his way, he promises it will yield its fruit in its season. Just wait. I know it may not feel like that season is today, but he promises it will come because God plays the long view in our lives. Will you trust him? Will you listen? Will you pursue him and find in him the only thing that can satisfy your soul? So Father God, we just collectively acknowledge how quick we are to forget, how quick we are to grow distracted and look outside of you for things that will somehow fill and complete our soul. Forgive us. Lord, myself included, I confess how even with this message this week on my heart, I looked to other things that I thought would make my life, my weekend better. God, forgive me. And would you teach us, Father, a better way? I pray for my brothers and sisters, bearing burdens, bearing anxieties, bearing fears, bearing worry. Father, I pray that as they pursue you this week, Father, would you fill them with your delight? And Lord, we ask would you bear your fruit in us in its season and teach us to wait on you until it comes, we ask in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.